Peace be upon you. In Surah 2 verse 102, we learn about certain knowledge that was passed down since the time of Babel by two angels, Harut and Merut. It reads, They pursued what the devils taught concerning Solomon's kingdom. Solomon, however, was not a disbeliever, but the devils were disbelievers. They taught the people sorcery and that which was sent down through the two angels of Babel, Harut and Merut. These two did not divulge such knowledge without pointing out, This is a test, you shall not abuse such knowledge. But the people used it in such evil schemes as the breaking up of marriages. They can never harm anyone against the will of God. They thus learn what hurts them, not what benefits them. And they know full well that whoever practices witchcraft will have no share in the hereafter. Miserable indeed is what they sell their souls for, if they only knew. It's interesting that the association with the word Babel and its historical connotations, that these were two angels that went to Babel. And we know that Babel has to do with speech. And specifically, it has to do with the story in Genesis in the Bible, uh, chapter 11, where it reads about a community that was able to communicate. And because they were able to clearly communicate with one another, they were able to build and work together. But then when their speech got muddled and they were unable to discern what each other were saying, that all of a sudden their progress ceased, that they stopped being productive members of society. You know, my takeaway from this story is that when people have one unified language, they can cooperate and have unity. But when our common language gets destroyed, then it causes disunity and distrust, which can lead to an entire downfall of a once prosperous nation. But this is more than just a difference in language, like comparing English to Spanish to Arabic to Mandarin. While speaking different languages can obviously cause some miscommunication, the real breakdown occurs when the meanings of the words themselves are severely altered from their original meanings. When this happens, and it doesn't matter even if you're speaking the same language, this will cause divisions and disputes among the people because they have no shared common ground. Even the names that are given for these two angels, Harut and Merut, I believe, kind of share the same theme. So, for instance, Herut, the root of this name, means to slit a thing, to widen it, to have a wide mouth, to draw the side of the mouth to, to the ear. So, in essence, it's accentuating this concept of a wide mouth. And we have an idiom in English, which means to speak out of both sides of your mouth, that I believe is in parallel to this name, Herut. And my takeaway from that is that when you are speaking out of both sides of your mouth, you say different and contradictory things to different people so that people are left unsure or confused. And this is one of these aspects that, again, are associated with this concept of Babel. The second name, Marut, uh, the root of this means to render something smooth, to remove a thing from its place, to break a thing, to be without water or herbage, and in essence, to make a completely flat, smooth area. My understanding of this term marut and its meaning of rendering a thing smooth signifies removing a distinction between things. Consider that in a region, the way we typically determine our orientation or our physical environment is by looking for landmarks to determine where we are and where we need to go. But if all the landmarks are removed and the land is made completely smooth, then there's no way to tell where we are, let alone the direction we need to go to reach our destination. Now, keep in mind that this term of language 
if we gradually fuse different words together to remove their distinctions. Using this approach, one can slowly inch someone into an understanding or a take on a circumstance that they wouldn't have taken up front, but slowly through slight gradual concessions, they come to take on the very thing that they were trying to avoid. And I'll give a real life example. Look at the situation right now with Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine wants the U.S. to enter the war. But they know if they ask the U.S. up front, hey, can you enter the war on our behalf? The U.S. is going to say, no, we don't want to start World War III. So what they do is they say, well, look, can you send us some money so we can basically fight this war? So the U.S. says, okay, fine, we'll send you some money so you can fight your war. Then they say, you know what? Well, we just use this money to buy military equipment. Can you just send us the military equipment instead? And then the U.S. says, okay, well, we're already sending the money. They're using the money to buy military equipment. Fine, we'll send you military equipment instead. And then Ukraine will probably say, hey, you know what? Since you're already sending us this military equipment, can you come and at least train us on how properly to use this equipment? And the U.S. is going to think about it and say, okay, well, look, we'll just send people to train you guys. And they say, well, look, since you're already training us, you're already involved in this war. You're already giving us the military means. Why don't you guys just partake in this war? So all of a sudden, we went from absolutely no way we're going to enter this war, we're not going to start World War III, to slowly being pulled in further and further into this conflict. And this is how most things work. If someone comes up front and tells you their true intentions of what they're aiming to do with this manipulation of language and requests, it's, no one's going to concede on the, that first footing. But eventually, if they get enough of a foothold, they'll pull you in whole hog. Now, what does this have to do with the knowledge that was taught through these two angels, uh, Harut and Merut? Because 2102 doesn't talk about war or power, but something that almost on surface level seems so much more benign. It discusses the use of such knowledge for the sake of breaking up marriages, or in other translations is dividing a man from his spouse. Usually when people read this, they equate it to divorce, but I think there's something much deeper. I don't think this is just the act of divorce, as if the angels taught the people how to use witchcraft for the sake of seduction of married women. I think the Arabic is clear that this is indicating the overall distinction between a man and a woman. I wouldn't have believed this in the past, but as we are seeing this trend in society today, the significance of this verse and this particular phrase is more glaring than ever. When we look at the Arabic, we see that the little Arabic says, but they learned from both of them, these are the two angels, Harut and Merut, what yofarigun, what yofarigun comes from the root farak, which means to make a distinction or a differentiation or a separation therein between the man and his spouse. What I believe this verse is telling us, it's not just that this is causing a separation in the sake of a single marriage, but this act is causing the division of marriage as a institution as a whole. That this was the knowledge that was given to these individuals who misused it. For the last several years, we have seen a major attack on the institution of marriage. In November 2008, California passed Proposition 8, which was supposed to ban same-sex marriage. Unfortunately, this proposition was overturned and eventually led to the Supreme Court hearing where it solidified the marriage between same-sex couples. While this goes completely against the concept of marriage, 
because marriage can only happen between a man and a woman, that there are certain steps and one of those steps is consummation, which again requires both a male and a female in order to be able to be achieved. Now that said, if this was the end goal, it would be one thing, but it wasn't. Uh, gay advocates are very clear that this was just the first step of their overall mission of what they wanted to do to transform society. Similarly, around that same time, there was another movement that was taking place. In 2013, the COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, wrote the book Lean In, where she was advocating women to lean into their careers. This has been an ongoing trend for, uh, for years to get more women in the workforce and in executive positions within companies. At the same time that this trend was pro uh, progressing for women, there was another movement brewing against what was deemed toxic masculinity. Men, and more specifically young men, were being told that their natural predispositions were toxic. The remedy to all this was that society was pushing women to behave more like men and men to behave more like women. This started in the 1960s with the sexual revolution, encouraging women to go and be promiscuous, to have lots of sexual partners, and don't worry if you end up getting pregnant, simply just have an abortion. And what's interesting is that as women bought into this narrative, their emotional happiness declined. In one Pew Research study, uh, they found that 56.3% of young, white, non-religious women in America are diagnosed with a mental illness and are consistently found to be some of the most dissatisfied in life. I have a female friend who went to one of these women empowerment meetups right around the time of the uh, Lean In movement. And she told me that one of the people who was being interviewed for one of these uh, panel discussions was a woman in her early 40s that spent her whole life focused on her career and moving up the corporate ladder. My friend told me that the interview took a strange turn because the individual started crying. She was bawling, saying that she pursued her career because she thought this is what society said she should care about. But she felt like she wasted her life doing so at the expense of focusing on having a family and kids, things that her biology yearned for. God informs us that he has designed the men to be the bread earner. This does not mean that women cannot be bread earners, but that for most women, this is not going to be the role that they will enjoy taking on. Research shows that even in the most egalitarian societies, there is a predisposition for both men and women towards certain occupations, roles, and interests. To try to push people into the molds that goes against their very nature is a recipe for disappointment. And there's another inherent downside that occurs when women take on this role as the head of the household that is leading to more anxiety in society. Women are more concerned on average about security and feeling safe. This is something that doesn't come naturally to most men. I heard this interesting example. There was a couple there in a hotel room and in the middle of the night, a drunk person comes uh, banging on the door telling me, hey, let me come in. You know, I lost my room key. And the husband, not thinking anything, simply goes, opens the door, and tells the guy, hey, you're in the wrong room. And the wife was explaining, I would never be able to do that because I would be too terrified of opening the door to this belligerent stranger. But the husband didn't think anything of it. He just saw this, hey, this is a drunk guy. Let me just uh, uh, address him, and he'll be on uh, his way. The reason for this feeling is natural. Women in society are going to feel more vulnerable than men. If they're walking alone in an abandoned uh, garage, parking garage, you know, they're on a lot more alert than the average man. The problem arises is that when women become the heads of households, 
and start dictating the priorities of that household, they're going to garner the focus towards this yearning for security. And the downside of this is that this just leads to a society that is more anxious about possible threats. A perfect depiction of this can be seen with the alarmism around global warming that is predominantly fueled by women, or the hysteria around the election of Donald Trump as president, and the entire COVID mass psychosis that has been pushing society in perpetual lockdowns and security theater such as the almost religious devotion to mask wearing. I've heard of many men who have taken a back seat in being the, the head of their household, allowing their wives to basically decide the narrative and what's necessary in order to be safe and secure. And this has led to mass hysteria on so many levels that has completely derailed society in our daily activities. On the other side, we have boys being told that their predisposition to roughhousing, competing, and fighting is toxic. They're told to be more like the girls, Society rewards men who behave feminine. This is seen in the structure of schooling, where being agreeable, less active, more structured is rewarded and promoted. If anyone has young boys, you see that they naturally, they want to wrestle, they want to fight, they want to basically push the limits. But this is, goes completely counter to the way that schooling is structured. That's why we're seeing a huge gender gap in higher education, both in enrollment and in graduation rates. Young women are more likely to be enrolled in college today than young men. And among those ages 25 and older, women are more likely than men to have a four-year college degree. This gap in college completion is widest among younger adults and increasing with each new generation. The fundamental downside of this trend is that many women will not marry a man unless they make more than they do, meaning that they weigh the earning potential of their spouse much higher than a man does towards a woman. So if you have a society where the majority of women have higher educations, therefore higher earning potential than men, then the pool of candidates that these women can marry has just shrunk dramatically. And all this leads to the deterioration of marriage within a society, and not only that, but also the overall success of that marriage by not ending in divorce. In Surah 4 verse 32 it reads, You shall not covet the qualities bestowed upon each other by God. The men enjoy certain qualities and the women enjoy certain qualities. You may implore God to shower you with his grace. God is fully aware of all things. This verse is very clearly telling us that both men and women are endowed with certain qualities. That as men and women we should not covet the qualities God has bestowed to each of us. That we should be happy with what God has given us. In Surah 4 verse 34 it reads, The men are made responsible for the women, and God has endowed them with certain qualities and made them the bread earners. The righteous women will cheerfully accept this arrangement, since it is God's commandment and honor their husbands in their absence. But clearly, this movement wasn't done. What started as a mere merging of men and women in roles in society has morphed into an entire false narrative that there's no such thing as biological men or women but that gender is a social construct. Roughly 1 in 5,000 people are going to be born with ambiguous sex organs. This is about the same probability of flipping a nickel and having it land on its edge. So while it's still unlikely, it is a reality and an unfortunate one for those impacted by this, and no different than anyone else who's born with any other form of a birth defect.
But if the argument was limited to these specific individuals, I don't think there would be as much of a pushback from society in order to be tolerant and uh, uh, accepting of these people. But the woke elite are expanding this definition not to just this one in 5,000 who are born with ambiguous sexual organs, but to any individual who self-identifies as such. First, they argued that gender and biological sex is different, such that gender is the software and sex is the hardware. The claim was that someone might be male, but have the gender of a female and vice versa. Despite the terms of masculine and feminine already existing, they wanted to take over the definition of gender as well, to conflate gender and sex. Then when they got that concession, they basically pushed it further to say that, look, gender and sex are one and the same, such that there is no biological male or female. It's simply whatever someone perceives themselves as. Politicians and woke evangelists are on a mission to replace the term women with terms like birthing people, people with uteruses, and most recently as bleeders. Just the other day, the CEO of a company that makes products for women to deal with their menstrual cycle wrote, most bleeders know how they are impacted by their period, but unfortunately aren't in touch with their feelings and symptoms. So rather than using the term women, she says most bleeders. And I don't know where to start with just how ludicrous this phrase is. Jennifer Say, who is supposed to be next in line as the CEO of Levi, who had to leave her position due to cancel culture, wrote in a tweet, I honestly don't think it's too much to ask to say, please don't refer to me this way. Bleeder? Really? Who's this helping? In what world is this respectful and considerate? Who's going to be respected and considered with this language? The replacing of the word women with these other disgusting phrases uh, really took light in June 6, 2020, when J.K. Rawlings, the writer of Harry Potter, uh, wrote a tweet about an opinion piece with the title, Creating a More Equal Post-COVID-19 World for People Who Menstruate. So rather than saying for, for women, it basically says people who menstruate. And J.K. Rowling wrote, people who menstruate? I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wombend? Wimpund? Wombud? What was it? Clearly, she's poking fun at the article's abstainment from using the term women and instead using this ridiculous term, people who menstruate. And it didn't end there. This led to a huge backlash uh, towards J.K. Rowling and people who supported her. Uh, they used the term TERF as in a, a trans-exclusionary feminist uh, against her. Uh, Dave Chappelle created the uh, stand-up uh, Sticks and Stones where he goes off on these trans individuals and the absurdity of their claims. But nevertheless, all these people get pushed to be canceled. And it's not just this change in terminology. This change in terminology has real-life consequences. For instance, weightlifter Laurel Hubbard, a 43-year-old biological male, competed for New Zealand in the 2020 Women's Olympics. Hubbard competed in the men's weightlifting competition before changing genders in 2013. Hubbard competed in the super-heavy 87-kilogram category, becoming the first male to compete in a female event for the Olympics. Ironically, having male genitalia was not reason to bar someone from competing in the Women's Olympics. But in this same Olympics, Shikari Richardson, a female track sensation and a gold medal favorite in the women's 100 meters, was suspended for testing positive for marijuana and was unable to compete in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. 
meaning that they allowed someone who was a man to compete in the women's Olympics, but a biological female was barred from competing in the Olympics because her body possessed trace amounts of marijuana. More recently, Leah Thomas, a biological male swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, competed for the first three years at Penn under the men's division. Then Thomas decided that he's actually female and started competing in the women's division. In November 2021, he set school records in the 200-meter and 500-meter freestyle. In one of his record-breaking races, he beat a fellow Penn State teammate by over 38 seconds. He demolished the person who would have had first place had he not been competing. If we refuse to accept that there are such things as biological males and females, then there's no such thing as female sports or male sports. There's just sports. So consider the decades feminists have fought to get equal rights in women's sports, like the passing of Title IX, are seeing this all dissolve before their very eyes for this LGBTQ movement. But this confusion of biological sex and promotion of sexual deviancy has no limits. Children across the globe are being psychologically coerced into thinking that their biological sex and their sexuality is ambiguous. More youths and adults now identify as LGBTQ than ever before. In the last decade, diagnosis of gender dysphoria, where people have severe discomfort in one's biological sex, has exploded across the West. Between 2016 and 2017, the number of gender surgeries for natal females in the U.S. quadrupled, and in the U.K., the rates of gender dysphoria for teenage girls are up 4,400% over the previous decade. Historically, gender dysphoria typically began in early childhood and overwhelmingly afflicted males, but in the last few years, suddenly it has a new dominant demographic of teenage girls. I have heard from several middle school and high school age kids about the psychological arguments that are being posed upon them that are causing them a lot of confusion. The basic argument goes something like this. Premise 1. Gender is defined by the person and not our biology, meaning anyone can choose whatever gender, whatever sex they want. Premise 2. If you're attracted to someone who is biologically your opposite, but identifies as the same gender as you, then you're either homosexual or you'll need to adjust your gender in order not to be. So let's put this in application. Let's say you're a biological male and you're attracted to Megan Fox. Tomorrow, Megan Fox decides, hey, you know what? I'm actually a man. If you're still attracted to Megan Fox, then now you're attracted to a man, thus making you a homosexual. When I first heard this argument, I thought it was so absurd. How could anyone possibly fall for this? Then I heard of several parents who had children who were struggling with this very incident. One parent said that their son had a girlfriend. One day, the son's girlfriend decided that she identified as male. So this made the son think that since he's still attracted to her, and he's still her girlfriend, but now it's his boyfriend, so therefore he must be homosexual, or he must be a woman. And this caused the son a lot of grief and frustration to the point that he came out to his family declaring himself homosexual because he had a boyfriend who was actually his girlfriend. But it doesn't stop there. They want to go further. They, want, they don't want to stop at the teenagers. 
They're looking at the children. The worst expression of this is the grooming and sexualization of children. This is because the belief that if gender is a social construct, so is age. That there is people who are saying that age is a social construct, that we should treat children as if they're adults. What started in San Francisco, California, and has been adopted by libraries all across America is the concept of drag queen story times. This is where grown men dress up as not just women, but as prostitutes to read books to children. And it isn't bad enough that these individuals, these sexual deviants, are doing this. But you have it promoted in public libraries where throngs of these woke parents are bringing their kids to be indoctrinated into this uh, ideology and this culture. Then they started making TV shows dedicated to drag queen kids that you can find on uh, Netflix and cable television, and they talk about how these kids are so brave and strong and inspirational for dressing up as strippers and the opposite sex. Now they are pushing to teach them, promote kink to children, that there are certain individuals and institutions and professors who are saying that, yes, we need to introduce kink to children so they can explore their sexuality. The other year, we had the release of the movie Cuties, which takes 11-year-old girls and sexualizes them for an adult audience. This is disgusting pornographic material that should be condemned. No company in the world should be promoting this garbage. Last year, Abigail Schreier, who's really taken this mantle, exposing this pandemic of transgenderism that's being targeted towards children, leaked documents and audio from the California Teachers Association Conference, revealing efforts from teachers regarding how to subvert children's parents on their grooming of children to push them to transgenderism and altering of their sexual identity. These efforts consisted of ways they can make sure these messages are being promoted to the children within the schools without the parents' consent. These teachers' conniving practices went so far to go and spy on the browsing history of their students to try to target the children that would be the most susceptible to this message. Some parents are now suing their school district for these grooming practices. Jessica Conan is taking legal action against her school district in California after two teachers allegedly manipulated her 11-year-old daughter into believing she was a transgender boy. There was another case of a, another child similar in age where the parents were completely oblivious to all this and it wasn't until the second suicide attempt that the parents actually were informed of the, the hostility their children were experiencing through this grooming practice of their teachers. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, the child was sent to a, a psychiatric ward before the parents could even have custody because they were told that the parents were the reason the child was doing this. And now, in essence, that the child is outside of that school, they're flourishing. They no longer think that they're transgender. They're no longer in that grasp of this heinous, disgusting individuals. In Loudoun County, a male student who identified as a female was allowed to use the female restroom where he raped a female student. But the school tried to keep this hidden from the parents and used legal recourse to keep them silent. After months of seeing that nothing was being addressed towards the grievances of the family, the parents found out that rather than prosecuting the perpetrator, instead they decided to reassign him to a different school where apparently he committed a similar act to another female student in the female bathroom. 
When the parents found out about all this, they tried to address the school board, but were promptly arrested and deemed to be terrorists for their natural outrage to the situation. Just the other week in Los Alamitos Unified School District, the parents found out that their children who were being sent to science camp were being bunked up with biological males because the camp believed that if someone identified as a female, therefore they can be a camp counselor to female children. The other month, it was discovered that school administrators in Idaho manipulated an 11-year-old girl into believing she was a boy and should undergo gender transition surgery behind her parents' back. The elementary school counselor had coached the young girl into believing she was transsexual and instructed her how to tell her parents about her new identity. In Virginia, a public school made kindergartners sit and listen to the transgender rights advocate, a man dressed up as a woman who goes by Sarah, read them a book about transgender teens. In Iowa, a school district used Black Lives Matter at school guiding principals to teach kids as young as four years old to quote-unquote free ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, dismantle cisgender privilege, and disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. This list can go on and on about the absurdity of this indoctrination of children towards transgenderism, towards exploring their sexuality, and cajoling them into all kinds of deviancy of sexual immorality. As these ideologies spread through society and gain acceptance in small little footholds one by one, it eventually starts impacting the laws of that society. On January 1st, 2021, a new law went into effect in California, allowing men who identify as women to be housed in women's prisons. Since then, women inmates have been reporting being physically and sexually abused, including rapes leading to unwanted pregnancies. This has caused some women prisons to supply condoms to the inmates. And what I think totally takes the icing of the cake of the level of absurdity that this society has gotten to, in 2014, a convict by the name of James Tubbs was 17 years old, two weeks before his 18th birthday. He went inside a Denny's women's bathroom and sexually molested a 10-year-old girl. Eight years later, he pleads guilty to this crime. Except they said, hey, look, when he committed the crime, he was a juvenile, so therefore he should go to juvenile prison where the max time he can serve is two years. But James Tubbs now identifies as a woman. He goes by the name of Hannah Tubbs. So they're sending him to a female juvenile prison to serve his sentence. And from what's reported, is that he still has all his male anatomy. If you look at a photo of him, there's nothing feminine about this individual. Yet, they're putting this sexual predator amongst children. Imagine trying to explain this to someone just a few years ago about the level of absurdity we're living in now. That a county judge would sign off on something so absolutely absurd. And these are the consequences that happen when you start tearing away at language. When all of a sudden these distinctions that everyone knows and understands, the distinction between a man and a woman starts getting eroded away by society. It starts by saying, telling women to act more like men, telling men to act more like women. 
and then convincing the masses that there's a distinction between gender and sex. And then once they concede that ground, they say, no, actually, gender and sex are one and the same, and anyone can self-identify to whatever it is that they want. And then once they win that ground, then they start coming after the teens. Then they start coming after the children. And eventually, the entire nuclear family has been dissolved. And this is their end objective, is to end marriage, to end this distinction between a man and a woman. There's a quote, it says, control language and you control thought. Control thought and you control action. Control action and you control the world. What these people are doing are the absolute most sinister acts. And it leads to the destruction and downfall of an entire society, just like we saw at the time of Babel. Because if you can break down the foundation of a nuclear family to abolish the concept of marriage between a man and a woman, to abolish the concept of biological male and female, then you can break down every other facet of morality in society. This can all be achieved not through war or bloodshed, but simply through the manipulation of language and distorting right from wrong. Because if something as obvious as the distinction between a man and a woman can be corroded away, then what other ideals we hold true will be next? This is the end goal for destroying this simple distinction, to chip away at the very foundation of objective reality and eventually do away with objective morality. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please join us on our Discord group. The invite link can be found below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.